This is the Pastor Podcast with Randy and Andy. Andy Payton is the lead pastor at Methodist Temple United Methodist Church in Evansville, Indiana. Randy Moore is associate pastor at Methodist Temple. Their goal is to see Christ in everything and everyone. Welcome to the Pastor Podcast with Randy and Andy. I'm Randy Moore, along with Pastor Andy Payton. Good to see you, Andy. It's good to be here, Randy. Good Uh, to be with you. Yes, it's good to have you listening in. And I thought what we might do right at the beginning is just sort of set out the purpose of what we're doing here. Maybe this is the first podcast that you've you've listened to. So uh, Pastor Andy is the lead pastor here at Methodist Temple in Evansville, Indiana. I am associate pastor here at Methodist Temple. Uh, Andy typically preaches three times a month, and I typically preach one time a month. And Basically, what we do here with the podcast is we reflect on last week's sermon and we look forward to next week's sermon. And of course, that's beneficial for people who have heard the sermon, either in person or through virtual worship, uh, so that they can reflect and come back to the sermon and think about it. And in that way, embed the word a little bit deeper than they might had they just come in for the sermon, heard it, and and went away and carried on with their lives. That's not to say that if you've not been with us in worship or you've heard the sermon online that you can't get something out of this podcast. We think that you can because we kind of go through the sermon and we break it down and we dig a little bit deeper and then we preview next week's sermon. So thank you. Um, You are invited to come if you're listening and you're curious. You are, of course, invited to come or to or to worship with us virtually. But I think that everybody can get something out of this. Would you agree, Pastor Andy? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say that our goal, the way I was, I was just sitting here reflecting as you were talking, Randy. I, I would say the goal of what we're trying to do is really how can we take the Methodist tradition that we find ourselves in, and how can we take that and apply it to the spiritual journey in our lives today. And so this is a part of that experience. We preach and, you know, we talk about a subject on Sunday morning, but then we come back around and we, we think it through a little more and, and try to take it even a, in a more deep, deep space, a deep place. Um, so anyway, if you're listening, we're glad you're with us because uh, you're part of our community. And we're doing something, having said that, we're doing something that's out of the ordinary. We're typically going to be looking at that text, not just the sermon, but that text that's been the basis for the sermon. That's the pattern in the church, and, and when for those who preach the Bible, that's us. Um, what we're doing now, though, is uh, Pastor Andy has decided to take a look at the 25 articles of religion, those kinds of things that really make us Methodist. And so uh, we're doing that for, for 25 weeks with those once-a-month interruptions when, when I preach. And so we're doing these 25 articles of religion. They originated in the 39 articles of religion of the Church of England. John Wesley was a priest in the Church of England till the day he died, but the Methodist movement, the renewal movement that he started in England spread to America, and as it grew here, uh, he took these 39 articles and, and edited them down to 25. So we are up to uh, this week, or we might say last week, Article 11 of works of supererogation. Don't worry about the word because Pastor Andy didn't even use the word um, in his sermon. He got at the ideas that are behind it. There's a paragraph that describes it, and and I'll read it. Then we'll uh, talk about how well our souls are prospering uh, here in midweek, and then we'll dig in. 
Uh, voluntary works besides over and above God's commandments, which they call works of supererogation, cannot be taught without arrogancy and impiety. For by them men do declare that they do not only render unto God as much as they are bound to do, but that they do more for his sake than of bounden duty is required, whereas Christ saith plainly, when you have done all that is commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. I heard somebody say something this week that, that really made sense what, when he said it. It's that to understand Wesley and to understand Wesleyanism, it would, it would be a good idea to have the King James Bible open in front of you um, and the Book of Common Prayer. Because the language that Wesley uses sounds a, a lot like the King James Version of the Bible. Well, yeah, that, the King James Version was written in the vernacular of that time. And uh, John Wesley lived in the 1700s, and, you know, it's 1700s, English, uh, 1700s uh, form of English. And so, um, sure. And so, so you're going to get some weird words. Basically. It's weird words, and it's, it requi- even though it's English, it requires some translation. I just think about the people who are hearing me read that go, whoa, I, I really can't follow. Yeah, and sometimes the English words mean something different to us today than it did back then as well. And and uh, you'll get into that if you get into some of Wesley's stuff. Like he talks about the word enthusiasm. We think of that as a good thing. Right. In Wesley's day, it's a bad thing. Yes. Um, but what he meant and what we mean today by that term is different. So, yeah. Well, my soul is prospering uh, in, in this hour anyway. I just came from a visit with three of our people who are, they're not in a nursing home. They're actually in assisted living, and two of them are 100 years old. One of them is already 100. Another one is going to be 100 later this year. And so I have the opportunity from time to time, there is a lay member of our church who takes communion to them uh, on a monthly basis. She is off this week, and so I had the opportunity to go, and I spent some time with, with them this morning. And I have come to love those visits to the nursing home. Someone who makes an initial visit to a nursing home, I think by and large, w- would not find it a very rewarding experience because it can be it can be troubling. I mean, there are people there who are aged and and aging and 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 diminished. And but once you get beyond that, and you realize. Uh, the the people that you're interacting with and the history that they have and the and the spirit that they have uh, and the wisdom that they have I, I mean it's good that's been good for my soul it it was good to spend some time with them and I'm looking forward to going back how about you um for me when it when I'm thinking about my soul I would first say go into the nursing home you will find Christ there, period. Uh, just go to the nursing home and you will find Christ and whoever you see there. Um, when I think about my soul to the, today and I think about ways that I have felt close to God this past week, two things come to my mind. First, uh, my dog Chip. And uh, I have a six-month-old. He's technically a miniature Aussie doodle. And he's full of energy and he's a little bit skittish. So like when someone comes to the door, he often barks and carries on. This weekend, my mom came though. And if you know anything about my family this week, uh, uh, this year, anything, if you know anything about my family this past year, you know we've had a difficult time with the loss of my dad and my mom especially is grieving. Here's the thing that was interesting about Chip and my mom. My mom sits on the couch after church on Sunday. Chip jumps up on the couch and lays his head on her lap. Yeah. He never does that. Right. And it was just like, it was holy. After the fact, I, I kind of saw it happen. I thought, well, that's odd. And then I was reminded, you know, 
animals are tuned into the presence as well. They reflect it as well. Anyone that's ever owned a pet knows this, that they love us in a way that really points us to the love of God. So yeah, it was very holy. The other moment was with my daughter, Ella. Last night we were doing our prayers before she went to bed and we said the Lord's Prayer. And Ella says afterwards, she goes, do you think that's all that God said with that prayer, Dad? And I say to Ella, well, I don't know, Ella. What do you think? What do you think God would want to say now? Like, what more would God want to write to that prayer? And I was like, what? And I told Ella, why don't you just pray it? Ella says, okay. So she starts to pray. She says, God, I thank you for tomorrow. I cannot wait to see what you have to show me. <laughs> and I'm like, that's a contemplative mindset right there. Right. God's going to show me something through the world around me. I'm excited about tomorrow. I'm excited about being alive. Um, and certainly Jesus said, such as the children, right? Like, yeah. if, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must be like a child. And they remind us about what it really means to tune in. And she's been listening to Daddy's sermons. Must have been. <laughs> <laughs> Must have been. All right. Very good. Okay, let's jump into this. From your sermon last week on the 11th article of religion of works of super erogation, and you, um, you got started by asking people to consider um, a time uh, when they felt closest to God. And then you asked the question, what if you could enjoy the gift of God's presence all the time, even now, and then you developed um, this idea that that indeed can happen. This perfection, which we're going to talk about, is something that we we press on toward, but it's possible. It's possible now. Yeah, um, the way I would describe it, um, we have our five physical senses, but what Wesley and other authors would talk about is we have spiritual senses too. We can experience and sense the holy. We can experience and sense the presence of God. And the the idea of perfection when it comes to the spiritual life, the Christian life, is that we can cultivate that capacity, tune into that capacity. God can literally become more real to us. That's the goal. That's what we're striving for. We're not trying to become these holier-than-thou, morally perfect people, but we're not going to settle either. For something less. A lot of times I think what people do in Christianity today is they have taken Christianity and, and turned it into this, for lack of a better phrase, heaven and hell type of Christianity where we have to wait for God later. We have to wait for salvation later after we die. No. Salvation's now and it's it's about experiencing our wholeness in God's presence and cultivating that spiritual sense within our lives and finding our happiness in God's presence. This is beautiful stuff. Uh, and I, I could really, I guess the way I would describe it is like, this is a form of Christianity I long for and I can get behind. And certainly if you're listening to this, you're probably on that same page too. Well, what you've done with this 11th article is uh, you're dealing with it, but you're dealing with it from, a, from another angle. And we've introduced the word perfection. We don't just throw that word out lightly. This is in that order of salvation that Wesley uh, laid out, or those who followed Wesley recognized what he was teaching, and they, and they put this all together. But it's, it's really um, the ordo salutis, the way of salvation. And a few weeks ago, we started with pre—and it's all about grace. It's all about this unmerited gift of love, about the power of grace. 
And so we see grace manifest in several ways. Grace manifests itself as what we call prevenient grace, the grace that comes before. There is the justifying grace, and, and you had a sermon on that. And then there's the sanctifying grace, and a lot of times we stop right there, but Wesley went on. He wasn't the first to do this. He didn't, he didn't invent this. This is scriptural, and then others before him saw this. But then this sanctifying grace, where we grow more and more like Christ, then leads to a perfecting grace, and then that's where we get, that's why we brought up the word perfection, and we're not talking about a moral perfection, we're talking about a perfection in love. But to sort of set this in its context, that's where we are. We're at this doctrine uh, of John Wesley, not only of John Wesley, but it's one of those things that really um, really makes Methodism what it is. We've talked about holiness, and there's a connection between holiness and perfection. So this is where we are. We're, um, we're trying to attain that perfection, not only down the road, as we've said, but, the, but perfection even maybe now in a moment. Well, it was so important to Wesley, the early Methodist, um, the first few annual conferences, if you go back and you look at the history of Methodism, um, annual conference is something that happens even today in the United Methodist Church. But basically, if you go to annual conference, it feels like a big legislative church meeting. But the first annual conference is a few hundred years ago when Wesley was started. The only thing they talked about was sanctification. The only thing they talked about was perfection and love. This was the most important thing to the Methodists. This is it. This is the arena that we're going for. This is the point we're striving for. And so I've uh, spent a couple weeks on it, and I'm not quite done yet. I'm going to talk some more about it because it's just so important that this idea of experience of God can become real. And, And that's the goal. That's the point. And to walk away from that, really just walk away. You walk away from the whole purpose of Christianity, quite frankly. I like the definition of grace as a thing of power because grace has the power to make an actual change in our hearts, an actual change in our being. It's not saying, oh, I I know how to behave and I'm going to try to behave and I'm going to try to hit all these marks of perfection. That's not it. It's an actual change where it is natural. I was going to say second nature, but not really second nature, a kind of a recovered first nature. This is how I am and we are because of the love of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, grace, that's a tricky word. Well, I will say just about any word in the Christian linguistic system is a tricky word now because we've been around for a while and not everyone defines the words in the same way. Um, when we use the word grace, I guess I'll say it this way. When I use the word grace, that's a short way of talking about the gift of God's presence, period. It's not an add-on. It's not some sort of like, force as much as it's it's a personality it's a it's a presence when we say we have faith in god's grace we're talking about i have faith in a personal god that is love that loves me even now and that's what we're cultivating that's the point and that's not always the case in some of christianity some of christianity defines grace as sort of like a as i said before in our podcast like an add-on mm-hmm. we have the right answer we get the right theology we get to a point of some sort of level of moral perf- perfectedness and then we get grace no what we're saying is grace is inherent it's god's presence is inherent it's unmerited we didn't earn it it's given and to have faith then is about becoming aware of that. Mm-hmm. 
And every level of grace is, ava- is available now. When we lay it out the way we've laid it out in the order salutis, prevenient, justifying, and sanctifying, it's as if first there's this justifying or a prevenient grace, and then comes justifying grace, and then comes sanctifying grace. No, it all comes at, it's all one thing. Yeah, those terms that we use are more or less describing the various experiences that we might have with grace. They're, they're words that point to those experiences, but it's, it's always God. Like we're talking about becoming aware and in tune with the presence of a living God. Um, and, and that's the way of salvation. That's what it's about. You said something that I want you to expound on, and I might not even have copied this down correctly, so you can correct me if, if I didn't because I'm, you know, I'm scrambling to take some good notes. Um, and I'm not only taking notes because we do this. It's just always been my habit when I'm in the pew uh, that I take notes. Um, you said um, the, aware, the awareness that uh, the psychologist Carl Jung described as numinous, Methodists call the perfection of love. Did I get that right? And uh, if so, uh, I want you to expound on that. Well, I'm, I'm coming at it from a different angle. I'm, t- I'm coming at this idea of the experience of God from a different angle. And I find when you can find a source outside of our camp, if you will, it, 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 it points to the direction that, hey, there's something really true here. This is not just, just religious words that we're using. All so right. um, Carl Jung, he talked about a lot of the clients that he had throughout the years. And he's a major psychologist, a major... Um, groundbreaking type of psychologist in the 20th century. But he talked about how most of the client's angst that he he saw could be alleviated through the experience of what he described as the numinous. Um, And then he went on to describe that the numinous is like the realization that life is actually meaningful, that there's something larger than me moving in the world with intent. In my mind, he's pointing in a very similar direction that we as Christians are, Christians are pointing to when we're using the word God. There's a there's a bigger force. There's a bigger intent. We're, we're part of a bigger picture. And so we find our deepest fulfillment by the realization that we're a part of something bigger that's loving us and guiding us. The world actually has a purpose behind it. And as I look at our world today, I, I would say... We have a crisis in this sort of meaning. Um, it's like we're walking around with a question mark. Why am I here? What's the point? And underneath that question mark is a sense of depression and anxiety and kind of wondering, like, why, why any of this? Mm-hmm. And what Young's talking about and what Wesley's talking about is that you can – become alive to this notion that, hey, we really are a part of something bigger, more significant, and it can give you a sense of fulfillment that, quite honestly, the world around us doesn't really provide. I think about the statement, uh, if it's true anywhere, it's true everywhere, and I would apply that to your idea of going outside of our camp, as you describe it, and seeing what others outside the camp see, and I think it's absolutely appropriate for a psychologist like Carl Jung or any other psychologist or any other social scientist or any, anybody anywhere, if they make observations, learned observations, and all they are observing in the end is God. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're making observations about what makes a person better. I have this person here that's struggling, and as they became aware of this reality, their spirit emotionally became better 
Yeah, I, I mean, it, what's true is always true, no matter where it comes from. And I find it very helpful to think of Carl Jung in this way in connection with our own ideas. Yeah, there's no way to compartmentalize our faith. I mean, it, no. faith is, it's all, it's holistic. It's, every, it's wholeness of everything. It's not, but too many of us, and I've been guilty of it too, there's my church life and then there's my other life. Church life and the other life. There's a separation. No, 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 there cannot be a separation. Right. I mean, the, the tendency is to, is to treat our spirituality and our faith like one component of our life. But really what, it, what spirituality and faith is meant to do is to give us an entirely new software system for interacting with the people in our lives and the world around us. It's supposed to affect almost everything. And it's not supposed to be like this burden, though, that we carry around. It's like a liberation whenever you become aware of this. Hey, I don't have to be in control of all things. It's not always up to me. Even more importantly, I'm loved. And I've always been loved. And therefore, I don't have to go out and try to earn other people's love now because I've already been given love. I'm getting all worked up just talking about it. But it's so needed in our world today. It absolutely is. Okay, um, you presented uh, Wesley's four questions. One, uh, have you faith in Christ? And you're talking about um, you know, like the examination of a, of, a, of a pastor. I think it's the context for this, but it applies to everyone. So one, have you faith in Christ? Two, are you going on to perfection? Three, do you expect to be made perfect in this life? And four, are you earnestly seeking it? Let's take those one at a time. One, have you faith in Christ? So uh, do you have faith that God loves you in a Christ-like way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, the thing I said in my sermon, I'll reiterate now, it's not faith in something. Um, we don't settle for faith in an idea or a city, series of doctrines or creeds, although the, those things can be helpful in the sense that they can provide us a roadmap. But really what the question is asking, do you have faith in someone? And I realize that it's a hard sell sometimes. It's not always easy to be convinced that God loves us. Um, I I heard a story about a very successful pastor, Methodist pastor. I think he's from Texas somewhere. Um, Someone asked him what, what the biggest challenge of his ministry was. And I think the someone that asked the question was expecting, you know, like church administration or something like that. The pastor looks at him and says, the biggest challenge I've had throughout my entire ministry has always been to convince people that God loves them. My mission in life is to convince people that God loves them. And that's what faith in Christ really is about. It's about, I'll just call it entertaining the possibility (laughs) that God loves us in a Christ-like way. And in my sermon, what I basically invited people to do is just to simply try it on. I mean, even as you listen to the podcast, try it on. At this moment, wherever you're at, think about it. The difference it makes whenever you stop and assume that God loves us in a Christ-like way, that the sense in our spirit, it changes. Um, A a sense of our fulfillment, it changes. Uh, The buzz of the world around us, it changes. By that basic shift. And I, I have to believe that's not a, an accident. That's by design. God made us in such a way that we come alive to that love that's always loved us. And as we 
come alive to that love, it's like the circuit gets completed, right? I mean, the, the electricity of God's presence begins to flow through us as we become aware of it. And all that's kind of tied into this idea of faith in Christ. It's not this lifeless, cold ascent to some notion of some idea of God. It's about becoming aware of the presence of God that is loving us in a Christ-like way. It makes all the difference in the world. The second question was, are you going on to perfection? And so you quoted Matthew 5, 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This isn't something that um, we should just maybe try to aspire to. We are incur- we are commanded, really, to, to aspire to it. Yeah, I mean, those words come back to, go back to Jesus, yeah. um, and he's saying that in the context of loving our enemies, and he's also saying that in the context of how God loves us. So really, to go into perfection really is just about we love the God that first loves us. There's another place in the New Testament where the idea of perfection is also used, and that's in the writing of 1 John, which is not as popular, you know, in terms of the Gospels. But there's this great line in 1 John. It says, perfect love cast out fear. And notice something here. Um, as perfect love grows, our confidence grows, our our suspicion of the world and other people begins to dwindle and goes away. Think about your life for a moment. Like, I mean, I mean, as I think about my own life, I don't walk around this world in a suspicious sort of way. Mm-hmm. I walk around this world with a sense of God's love, and I see that love coming to me through the people that I meet. Um, this is a, it's not really like a, again, a burden, it's an invitation uh, to happiness and a sense of joy. And so all that's kind of tied into this idea of going on to perfection. Are you striving to become more aware of God's presence and alive to God's presence and allowing that to overcome the suspicion in our lives and, and the way we see the world also begins to be changed as a result of it too? Wesley's question three, do you expect to be made perfect in this life? I think I'm right. I don't think Wesley thought he ever att- attained perfection, even though that was a goal of his. And I, I believe he commented in one of his sermons that most of us don't attain it until right before we die, but that Methodists should expect it now. Uh, and you talked about the fact that this is connected to uh, the ultimate love of God and neighbor. And the line that I underlined and the line that I will uh, highlight from you uh, was this question, would God ask us to do something that was not possible? I think if you polled 100 people, 100 of them would say it's not possible to be perfect. But God says it's possible. Yeah, I mean, and Wesley got a lot of heat over using the word perfection in his day. And and honestly, you never hear it talked about in the Methodist Church today, ever. I, I think this is the first time I've ever... Uh, got into this conversation. But the idea is, do we expect actually to be made perfect in love in this life? And um, basically what it is, what it means to be perfect in love does, like you said, goes back to Jesus. His two great commands, everyone knows Jesus' two great commands is love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. This is Jesus 101. Mm-hmm. And the idea here is, why would Jesus ask us to do this if it were not possible? And that's, a, that's hard to get out of at that point. Um, the next question becomes then, okay, well, what, what is the love that Jesus calls us to? What's that like? 
And I think this is one of the things that we struggle with today is because in our English language, the word love is kind of this warm and fluffy. Uh, it's like a sentimentality uh, type of word. But the love that Jesus was talking about is different. It's called agape. And what agape is, is like a self-sacrificial sort of love. It's not a love that always has warm and fluffy feelings. It's not a love that's always like smiling wherever they go. It's not like you're laughing in the face of tragedy or anything like that at all. But the love that Christ calls us to is like, I give my life over to God. Because that's the first commandment. Love the Lord our God. We give our lives over to God. And and that love of God becomes the, I'll describe it as the orienting concern of our lives. That defines all the other loves in our life and really everything that we do. Um, God's life is living through me. I'm going to orient myself towards that life now. It's going to change the way I interact with others and see myself now. Um, and so we're kind of getting at now what we're talking about when we're referring to being made perfect in love in this life. Now, the other issue, of course, is with the word perfect itself. Um, in our Western world, in our Western mind, when we use the word perfect, we think of it as like this unchanging completeness. Like we attain it, and then once we get there, we protect it. And I mean, that's how Christianity a lot of time is is preached and used in our world today. I've got all the answers. I've got all the behaviors. I'm going to get there. I'm going to protect it now. That's perfect. Yeah. No, that's not perfection in terms of the scriptures. Um, perfection in terms of the scriptures is, is willing to adapt and change and evolve all for the sake of the love of God. And we get this from God. In the Bible, God changes and I know that's probably going <laughs> to rattle a cage or two on the podcast if someone may be listening. But if you really read the scriptures and you take them seriously, it's true. There's moments throughout the Bible, both the Old and New Testament, where um, God or Jesus, they're questioned. And they change as a result of the questions. To be made perfect as God is perfect means that we're willing to adapt, evolve, change, all for the sake of the love of God. And so what that means for us, practically speaking, is... I'm going to learn new ways to love. There's going to be some things that I thought maybe were wrong. And I'm now given new information and I have to change the way I think about it now. Some of the ideas that I have forgotten, I'm going to, I'm going to come to realize through my own experience that it doesn't quite catch it and I'm going to change and adapt. So that's the type of perfection we're talking about. It's a living, dynamic relationship and that's how relationships work, right? They're, I mean, they're living and dynamic. And so when we say, do you expect to be, be made perfect in this love, means do you expect to change, evolve, adapt, all for the sake of one's relationship with God? This is, this is exciting <laughs> stuff, man. This is, this is it to me. That's gospel. Yeah, amen. Uh, okay, we're dealing with Wesley's four questions. We're up to number four. Uh, one was, have you faith in Christ? Two, are you going on to perfection? Three, do you expect to be made perfect in this life? And finally, four, are you earnestly seeking it? At this point, you said, hey, I, you probably expect me to give you a long list of uh, spiritual practices to take on, and you said no. You said, I'm offering you one practice. Do you expect to be made perfect in love in this moment? Yeah, and the reason I use that question in that way is because that's what has helped me. Um, 
to think about being made perfect in this life, it does seem like a daunting task. But to think about being made perfect in love in this moment seems much more realistic. I can become aware of God's life living through me in this moment. That simple awareness can change the way I I see myself, the world, my neighbor in that moment. And, And so the idea here is as we ask that question more often, God becomes more real to us. And as God becomes more real to us, it's then that we begin to experience, and this is what I wish I did in my sermon, Randy. Um, <laughs> That's what this is for. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's then that we begin to experience what Wesley was talking about when he was talking about sanctification. As God becomes more real to us, our disposition changes. And maybe a practical way to think about that is our knee-jerk reaction to the world and our neighbor begins to change over time as God becomes more real to us. For example, something in our life doesn't go our way. And the tendency, of course, is when it doesn't go our way is to slip into a sort of like state of depression, anxiety, anger, frustration. And that could take us to a pretty dark place if we're not careful. That That's the knee-jerk reaction for a lot of us. I know I've experienced that. We all have. The idea here, though, is as we begin to begin... As we begin to cultivate our confidence in God's presence, as God begins to become real to us, our knee-jerk reaction changes. Something happens in our life, doesn't go our way. As our heart is being perfected in love, we then learn to lean into it differently. God, what are you going to show me in this moment? I know you're faithful. I know you're going to open the door for me in this moment. What's this person that just shows up in my life have to show me about you, God? I, instead of interruptions, their opportunities, instead of problems, they, be, they became, become moments of like, God's going to lead me in a different direction. All that begins to change as we begin to ask that question, can I be made perfect in love in this moment? It grows. Okay. All right. This Sunday, I'm actually going to be preaching a perfection text. I'm going to be preaching not at the Methodist Temple, but I'm going to be preaching at Centenary on the north side of Evansville. Reverend George Purnell was my pastor at Aldersgate United Methodist Church. Uh, I was his council chairman for most of those years there, and we became close friends. He ended up uh, going to Bloomington. He became the district superintendent. He retired, and um, he's back now. Uh, He's at uh, in retirement. He's back uh, pastoring centenary, and so I'll be preaching. And I'm, I didn't choose to preach a perfection text because you're preaching uh, about perfection. It actually came up in the lectionary. Well, maybe we're being loved and guided <laughs> and held by yes. a reality bigger than ourselves. Just saying. Absolutely. The way it happened, uh, considering that that is a very real possibility, is that it came up in the in the revised common lectionary. Those are the texts that are prescribed uh, in mainline Christianity. Um, and so that when we are reading uh, scriptures on Sunday morning, we know that Christians all over the world are reading those same texts if we're following the lectionary. So the epistle lesson for this Sunday uh, from the lectionary comes from Philippians. And uh, for those who were following the, the, the epistle lessons, there are several lessons, several weeks worth of lessons from uh, Philippians. And sometimes that's how a pastor chooses a, a, a sermon series is to preach those four or five that come out of lectionary. But I'm, I'm just pulling this one out to preach on it. And it's Philippians 3, 
4b to 14. I'm not going to read all uh, 14 of those verses, but I do want to read verses 10 through 12. Um, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at, at Philippi, and he says, I, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. If somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. You didn't hear the word perfection there, but if you take your Bible, it's probably in your Bible too, there's a footnote on 312 that says this, or have already been made perfect. Not that I have already obtained this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. John Wesley preached many sermons that had as a subject perfection, but he had one titled On Perfection, and the text for that particular sermon was this text right here, Philippians 3, 12. And so, okay, Pastor Andy, you've been studying and praying about this, so, so help me out. I've got to preach a sermon on this. Well, I mean... <laughs> It obviously seems to point in the direction that uh, something is possible in terms of our own transformation, but it is an ongoing transformation that we're always supposed to continue to grow. Um, one of the things I'll throw out there that I'm going to end up talking about this Sunday is one of the barriers of going on to perfection is thinking that we have arrived. And one of the big barriers of going on to perfection is to think, well, I've kind of done my thing now. I'm going to retire. I'm going to just hand in the baton. Ministry, it's over for me. No. No, it's not as though I've obtained all this, but I strive on. I reach towards the heavens in the expectation that God will continue to transform my life and and really prepare us for going to heaven and entering into God's presence. Yeah. Wow. Something you said then reminded me of something that uh, Dr. John Bender said just today as I visited him. He's 100 years old or maybe 101. He is a physician and we were talking about retirement. And he said, he says, I don't think retirement is very healthy physiologically. I think that's kind of what you were talking about. We never get to the place where we want to go into a state of total rest even in retirement, we need to press on. Spiritually, he was talking about physiologically, but spiritually as well. I think that's what some of what you were saying there. Yeah, I, love is is a, a growing, living thing that it's never like we get to this place of completeness where it stops. It It's something that continues to, it's like a fire. It can grow brighter and brighter is the idea. Okay, before we set a record for time on our, on our podcast here, let's, let's wrap this up with a preview, just a brief preview of what you will be preaching about uh, this Sunday here at the Methodist Temple, Article 12, that is, of sin after justification. Here's the description. Not every sin willingly committed after justification is sin against the Holy Ghost and unpardonable. Wherefore, the grant of repentance is not to be denied to such as fall into sin after justification. After we have received the Holy Ghost, we may depart from grace given and fall into sin, and by the grace of God, rise again and amend our lives. And therefore, they are to be commended who say they can no more sin as long as they live here, or deny the place of forgiveness to such as truly repent." 
Well, this article basically points to a big idea in the Wesleyan world in that we do believe it's possible, the phrase that has been used, to backslide, uh, to fall out of our relationship with God. Um, And so this Sunday, what I hope to do is talk about what are some of the barriers that can enter into our life in such a way where we fall out of that relationship with God, but really, more importantly, keep us from moving on and growing in our own walk. All right. Very good. You've got two options this Sunday. You can come to Methodist Temple and you can hear Pastor Andy's sermon on that article uh, live and in person. You can watch it virtually. I will be at Centenary on the north side and they stream their services as well. And so you could actually, uh, not at the same time, of course, but one after the other, take in both of these sermons because we will be reflecting on them when we come back to you again next week. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time. This has been the Pastor Podcast with Randy and Andy. You are welcome to join us at Methodist Temple in person or online. Methodist Temple is at 2109 Lincoln Avenue in Evansville, Indiana. Our traditional Sunday morning worship service is at 830 with our contemporary service at 11. Log on to our website at methodisttemple.church. We see Christ in you.